0: دروود مردم شریف ایران من شانل رفشار هستم میزبان شما در پالتکس 365 امروز اه, یکی از دوستای خوبم رو دعوت کردم به برنامه ی لابیست یا اکتیویست خانم مریم مونیچکا امسینگریت
1: مونیکا
0: مرسی اه, در واشنگتن دی سی اه, ایشون یک لابیست بوده برای خیلی از کمپانی بزرگ تک مثل توییتر و میذارم حالا ایشون بیشتر رو معرفی کنه بکگراند ایشونو دلیل که میخوام ایشونو دعوت کنم به یه برنامه اینه که واقعا میخواستیم یاد بگیریم از ایشون در واقع کار ادوتیسی لابی در این جنبش ملی همه یه لابیست شدن امچور لابیست اما ایشون یه پروفشناله در سطح خیلی بالا در واشنگتن سی و تو چند تا کمپانی مختلف تجربه هی. ایشون خیلی مورد در مورد این زمانی که ما الان هم, هم همون شاهریم هممون بین نحوی لابیست شدیم اما ایشون پروفشنال ای هستم میخواستم نتن ایشون و هم امسال رو دعوت کنم همه لابیست های پروفشنال واقعا میتونن به این پلتفرم کمک کنن و مردم اینا رو راهنمایی کنن که چجور میتونن موفق باشن در جهتی که میخوان در واشنگتن دی سی های مختلف و شهرداری ها لابیست و لابیزم واقعا بین بی لابیست زمین های مختلف برای همه و مهممل جایی که میتونیم یاد بگیر مدیشون واقعا به نح همه منم کنم پش اوعمللیید بقیه به انگلیسیه، اما خب میخواستم این قسمت رو به فارسییت هم میکن اما اگه لط کن مجدداً کارتون رو معرفی کنیم و هم میریم دنبال background
1: مرسی. okay um, thank you for having me yes as you said I'm Miriam. Miss Vaza de Mujica and I um, am happy to be joining you today, and and so we can jump right in.
0: Sure. So tell us a little bit how you got involved. You worked for government, federal government for a while. How did tell us a little about your career path into where you are today?
1: Yeah, I started my career as an attorney, and I soon after practicing a very very short period of time, maybe two years. I, I realized I wanted to. I had interned on Capitol Hill during college, and um, my grandfather had been very active in politics in Iran, and I think I got that bug from him, and I wanted to get back to Washington. I was in California practicing law in San Francisco. So I ended up at the State Department because I wanted to do foreign policy, and I was told that was sort of the ground zero of foreign policy. And one opportunity led to another. I ended up joining the National Security team at the White House. My focus was Middle East and Iran, um, and at the time, the Arab Spring was happening and the green movement happened and they were using these new tools. I'm using my fingers as you right. know, parentheses because they're not new anymore, but they were using Twitter, they were using YouTube, Facebook. And we were all in government in awe of what they were doing. And so I told myself, I want to go work for one of those companies. So a lot of people ask me, how did you go from Middle East foreign policy to tech? Hmm. Is that I only applied to those three companies, to Twitter, Google and Facebook um, uh, they were barely starting to hire government affairs teams. And so I landed at Twitter first. Um, I was there for four years, and then I went to Google for several years, Shopify, and now I'm at booking.com.
0: Oh, fantastic. What a great experience. Now you got both sides of the fence, public and private. At a very high level, uh, you know, I think you've led a career that a lot of Iranians are envious of to be in government, but also have something to say about Iran or Middle East policy. Because our our niche skills are so rare, right? Uh, So, uh, typically, maybe just however, which way you can comment, what is, let's say, the legislative platform or public policy concerns of companies like Twitter and Shopify and Google? Like, what do they care about?
1: So, yeah, you know, I would, when I moved from Twitter to Google and to Shopify, people would be like, so what are you lobbying for now? Basically, it's the same. They're all tech companies and they're all asset light. So in the tech policy world, there's certain issues that all the companies care about. So I don't know if you, you've you heard of, for example, like section 230, It's a, it's a liability shield so that you can't be liable for third party content. So that's how YouTube sort of exploded was they didn't have to worry about people uploading content that maybe that wasn't theirs and that they weren't aware was something that was bad. Um, but also other things like copyright, intellectual property. Um, At Google, there are national security issues also, but there's a whole host of issues. Anything that has to do with users interfacing with the internet and making sure that we can enable the internet to continue to thrive and not to be too burdened with regulation. Um, And that's really what made the internet flourish was was this rule to let everyone sort of come online share their content and not be worried about the companies, not be worried about getting sued. So that's sort of one of the big areas. But there's all sorts of other consumer protection issues, child safety issues. It it spans quite. uh, And when I first started years ago, there was a lot of terrorism content. Um, It sounds strange, but you know, groups like ISIS and a lot of terrorists nowadays, they they grew up with the internet. So they're very good at these tools as well. So countering bad actors is a constant area where we all have to constantly, hackers and bad actors are, are, are evolving just as quickly as the technology is.
0: So thank you for mentioning that. Uh, you're right, uh, uh, this generation grew up with the internet, but I didn't, <laughs> uh, you know, I remember back when I still had a simple PC and a floppy disk, my son doesn't know what that is anymore. Um, but you, you've explained how the internet uh, and especially bad actors are becoming more and more sophisticated in, in accessing these public platforms, which are meant for people to share whatever, you know, uh, content, and how the public policy of these tech companies is typically to, you know, as you say, not be burdened by regulation. So to the extent that uh, they welcome A a regulatory environment, great, but they're trying to run a business. Uh, You you saw the recent interviews of uh, Zuckerberg and other tech uh, executives. When
1: they testified on Capitol
0: Hill? Yeah, when they testified and they were trying to defend uh, the content that had been led to the harm that some of the kids were. What is your, like, how do you look at that type of interaction and what do you see as its future?
1: I I don't want to speak on behalf of any of those companies because right. you know I left Google and Twitter, but from a private citizen point of view, I think all those companies really are investing tons of resources and and tons of tools and allocating a lot of headcount to try to be make their, their website safe, to try to and say make their users interact in a safe environment. They all have community guidelines or rules. But you know, I I remind people that. I'm a tech optimist, I believe in technology, despite all of the bad actors out there. I remind people, the internet is just a reflection of the real world. People rob houses and people will try to pickpocket you on the train and people will try to you know, do whatever they can. And this is just the, you know, you could say the virtual version of that they're bad actors out there. And so I, I don't think that their work is ever done. I don't think that it's, um, it's like saying you want to get rid of crime in general. Right. Like is that possible? I don't know if that's really possible. Like you hope that you can you can minimize crime to a very, 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 you know, minimal degree where people feel safe walking down the street. That's the kind of thing I would have people think about. Like that's what they're trying to do. make it a safe environment, put rules in the road. I think they welcome regulation as long as it's it's thoughtful regulation. But then again, um you know, technology, the best and worst thing is the same thing. It's constantly changing. So that's the beauty of working in this industry is that you're constantly learning new things. But, you know, that's that's the issue with also making the community safe. You know, generative AI that really came into our consciousness maybe a little over a year ago. It burst into sort of everyone's radar, and that's now going to present new challenges. And so with each of these technologies, we have to rethink what and how we want to set the rules of the road to make it something that people want to use and that they can actually grow and learn from.
0: Right. And, you know, I got to say, as a parent, parental responsibility goes a long way, too.
1: Absolutely. As I said, I didn't
0: grow up with the Internet. I didn't grow up with Snapchat or any of these things, but my kids do. So um, and I, I just have to confess that since my son was the uh, on the receiving end of some cyberbullying, uh, I had to get involved. I had to kind of take charge of the conversation and the situation and to push for a resolution. But I don't remember ever blaming the technology. I just remember... Um, realizing the technology is there, just like a car one day will be in, in front of my exactly. kid or, or a phone or a freeway, anything that could be dangerous. Uh, it's my job to do my best, but I, would, I never thought about, uh, apart from governing his access to it, I never thought about depriving him of that technology. I just said, you got to be more responsible. I have to know more because, you know, as parents, we just kind of give our kids the phone and then tune out not realizing that, right? Because you're dealing with life and stuff and it's so easy. But uh, I think parents need uh, to exercise a lot. I, I was talking about one parent, more responsibility over their kids. And I, I wouldn't blame the technology at all. Um, it's, you just have to be smart. And uh, I-,
1: I agree. And that's why a lot of these companies now have tools for parents to really have visibility of what their kids can see, there's you know youtube kids for example was a whole app that was created with safe content for children so i think again the companies have learned over time because we we realize things over time and they try to present solutions for these challenges that that come up um, with each problem And i tell you it's only going to get
0: more challenging technology is going to get faster better cheaper more accessible it's not going to get easier we're not going to go into the dark ages uh, and send you know send smoke signals or you know ride on a cape it's only going to get uh, uh, more complicated. So I think we need to have more and more of these public conversations where we, we teach, the way I teach my son, defensive driving. You know, Don't assume everybody's going to stop at the red light. <laughs> uh, you know, Assume everybody's a bad driver, everybody's drunk, and you're simply trying to get from a, point A to B, in this case online, and you have to do it safely. Um, and it's the same defensive technique that he has to learn in and uh navigating the digital world that and one day he has to tell his kids i don't know uh even more so right um you know uh i want to talk about uh what you know how what success looks like in activism and lobbying you know how do you obviously in your role as you're representing a a a company you have a legislative platform you have specific uh you know uh goals you, you need to meet you need to. You know, either push for this bill or get more sponsors or get that law passed or however which way works on that level. Uh, but if you were to give a community group uh, or some activists, you know, some advice on how to be effective in engaging their members of Congress or like city hall, whatever, what are the, the, the what's the advice you would give them?
1: Well, I hesitate to sort of say I know how to give advice to activists or for activism, but I will sort of speak as, you know, a lobbyist and how I believe you come with an effective lobbying strategy is it really has to be a multifaceted strategy. So you obviously have the members of Congress that you identify, you have stakeholder mapping, you understand like who you need to talk to. But before you even go there, or I guess before you talk or engage with the members, you need to do a lot of reputation building for the brand that you represent to make sure that when you go talk to them, the perception of your brand already is something that you want them to think of it as. So as a responsible actor, as someone who invests in community, as someone who who creates a safe environment for for users to engage in. Um, You also want to make sure that you are finding validators or third-party groups. You, You had mentioned coalitions early on um you know so coalitions is one of several third party voices you could have out there but a lot of it is also civil society or nonprofits that are very active in that space making sure you're meeting with them you're 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 sharing your perspective and having a dialogue with them and then of course you're showing that what you're doing is not you're not doing it to benefit the company but to benefit users and to benefit consumers and so after that i would say you know When you go talk to stakeholders, you really have to think about. I think what makes someone really effective in advocacy is thinking, how can I convince this person? And when I was a litigator, it was the same thing. You have to look at your jury pool and the way you deliver your your sort of opening statement or your closing statement may not be the exact same way, depending even if it's the same case, but you have 12 different jurors that look very different. So understanding your audience, that is a key key critical part. I think a lot of people go in and just talk about what they want to talk about or talk about their company. And at the end of the day, it's sort of like a job interview. You want to go in and talk about why they you are going to help them and help their company. And that's essentially when I go talk to a senator or a member of Congress, it's why their congressional district or their state, their constituents will benefit from what I want to do um and what i'm trying to convince them to do so i think that's really important so it's a multifaceted plan in a lot of ways and then in a, and if you have the budget or the ability to travel or to be at events to be seen to be heard you know that's it's good to create an echo chamber but you know i think that it's depending on on what your resources are if you can try to touch upon each of these areas i think that that's sort of more of a holistic strategy that that i've definitely employed at the companies i've worked at
0: that's great advice. Understanding what the member uh, wants or, you know, it, it, it's, you know, often I think um, sometimes advocates only go in and, and because, you know, we don't really interact with our members too much, right? We only interact when there's a problem, right? Uh, right? When there's a problem, when there's something you don't like, you become active, that's what they call an activist, uh, and you begin to call your mayor or your governor or his office or your state legislator, members of Congress, I don't like this. I want you to stop it or to do more of it. But to be able to understand what that member's uh, issues are, challenges are for that district, uh, and then begin to bring in other stakeholders, as I say, civil societies, NGOs, nonprofits, other voices uh, in the country.
1: I I, I tell, there are two things I always tell um, people that I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but it's actually, I'm going to do it but it's going to be twice as effective. I have someone else telling the member of Congress and it's a neutral or it's a group that I know they engage with them that they like. So having other voices is really critical because they know you're coming from the company. So it's like you're biased, right? To them. So getting other voices to back you up is an essential ingredient that's worth investing into because that, that goes a lot farther when they hear a really well-respected nonprofit is coming and telling them the exact same thing that I told them.
0: Right. And it's good political cover. Uh, yeah. you know right it, it's good political cover I and, too and so if yeah. i am a member and I'm approached by multiple voices and I have to make a choice you know whatever choice you make you're going to make somebody unhappy so mm-hmm. you you yeah. need to have as much political cover as possible so I guess it sounds like the advice is to make sure whatever you do uh you provide the member with it members of Congress or state state office with as much political cover with as many objective voices saying exactly hey, this is good for the community. This is good exactly. for your district. This is good for exactly. your stakeholders. So it can exactly. stand on its own. And that's what I would tell activists is to make sure it speaks for you when you're not there to speak for yourself. That's right? right. I mean, if you are the only squeaky voice and the only one yelling, what about me, what about me? And then you're out of the room, it's dead silence. You're gone. Your, your issue's dead. Exactly. But if your issue lives through other people and other voices, especially civil society these are nonprofits just so people understand these are nonprofits these are maybe academic it could be uh, universities uh, any number of NGOs that are active in the field that you're in, whatever topic you're interested in it could be right. you know uh, it could be Middle East issues, it could be uh, tech issues uh, but they taking that that their legislative platform, their policy briefs, their press release, whatever it is to your conversation helps you. Uh, now, true. in the couple in a minute, so we have left, you know, as we remember in Civics 101, how a bill becomes law, I think you mentioned this, but, you know, whatever we may have proposed in the beginning as activists, it could go through many, many changes and markups and committee hearings, and by the time it comes out the other end, it may not look like exactly what you think it, it looks like. So is there some form of, I want to say, patience and tolerance and compromise that people should have in their proposal you know room for negotiation I, I want to say so they are at least have influence even if they don't have 100 percent of everything they want
1: you should definitely ha- you have to be willing to compromise there's no such thing as getting everything you want but you know we're only around five percent of bills at the federal level are passing but at the state level we are seeing massive movement I mean 20 to 30 percent of bills are passing because they're single state led single party legislatures so I would say you have a much more optimistic chance of things happening at the state level. And California has been leading the way in a lot of ways. But one thing I would tell you also to keep in mind is when a bill dies, it doesn't happen. It doesn't get sent to the floor for a vote. A lot of times it gets picked up in a subsequent session and a subsequent Congress and a subsequent legislative session. And what they do is that they go and get the old bill that died and they start from there. So I always explain to our C-suite that we have to engage on bills that we care about, even if they have no chance of passing this Congress, because next Congress, they may pull that bill to start working on again. We want it to be in a good place. So be patient. Sometimes it takes a couple of tries, but it's still worth engaging each and every time you can.
0: Maria, thank you so much. A million thanks. Uh, we learned so much. Please, please uh, leave some time for us later in the year. As we get closer to election year and priorities change, we really want to check back in with you and uh, help our community get a little smart about lobbying and activism and excellent advice. Uh, it's sometimes maybe not as sexy or important, you know, feel like important, but state level, local level legislators, a little bit right. to success, a little bit, you may get more success at the same local level than you may think you're going to get at the federal level. Absolutely. So, good, good piece of advice. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you.